ones uh, that are leading middle school, uh, they have 89 kids for our youth retreat next weekend. Come on, give God praise for that. So again, we're taking 89 of our kids away for the weekend uh, to have an encounter with God. And uh, some of you parents are like, yes, please keep them. Uh, no, they coming back. Uh, changed, I hope. Um, and, I, and I know that uh, these weekends have been an incredible change uh, for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, uh, I shared a little bit at uh, Colton and Amy's wedding about one of those weekends. And um, uh, just a powerful, tremendous move. Uh, of God. So thank you for trusting us with your kids. Now we're going to ask that you pray for us with your kids because you know your kids. <laughs> Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Here we go. Everybody say, here we go. Here we go. All right. So this new series, The Jordan Journey, I really want to talk about a sub topic inside of it is because I almost named the series uh, Breaking the Wilderness Cycle. I thought it was a little long. So I want to confront some issues that take place in the 40 years from the Red Sea to the Jordan. Hello, somebody. And I want to confront some issues that are issues of God's people. Come on. Because these were God's people. They're on a journey for 40 years. Some issues I know we'll relate to. Some issues that I hope that we'll be honest about. And so over the next few weeks, I want to I just have an honest conversation about where I just feel like the Lord is speaking, uh, not only in my own life, but all of our lives together as we are pursuing the promise of God. Is that what you're doing? Are you pursuing the promise of God? In Joshua chapter 1, now I love the book of Joshua. I call him the great general. Um, he's an amazing man of God. The book opens up with a shock. It, it opens up with, with um, uh, something that was unexpected, something you couldn't have thought about. But it, isn't, that the whole, isn't that the whole journey of the Exodus anyway? Things just happened they couldn't have said. They wouldn't even have prayed about this stuff. The book opens up with God going to Joshua, not Aaron. Joshua. And it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan. Everybody say, this Jordan. You and all this people into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward all the going down of the sun, and that shall be your territory. No man... Everybody say, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And so, Father, we praise you. We bless you for the reading of the word. We ask you to bless it to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, 
The Red Sea has been a powerful statement for us. It's been a, a powerful moment. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And so now I've skipped 40 years, because we don't have that kind of time, to move us toward the promise that God has given us. There, there are some things that happen in the 40-year journey from, from the Red Sea, from the west bank of the Red Sea to the Jordan that we are very familiar with. We're familiar with some struggles, some battles, some things that take place, some doubt, some unbelief. We're familiar with all the things that take place inside of that. God gives the commandments, uh, the things that take place. I mean, those are all familiar stories to us. Their struggle with disobedience, their struggle with uh, uh, discontentment, their struggle with, with just faith and their walk with God, their struggle with their leadership, their struggle. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. As I was preparing for this particular message, I, I broke out several of different translations that I have of Bibles in my office. And Psalms 16.5 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, The Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. When I talk to young people a lot, what I'm hearing about is what's your greatest concern? What's your prayer? What's your thought process right now? I'm thinking about my future. When we, think, when we talk and sit down with people who are in crisis, we say, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about my future. Obviously, if we're in crisis, then we're worried about the future. What will become of me? If we're struggling in, in, in relationships, marriage, health, finances, it doesn't matter. All of that is a focus towards what will become of me and my future. What's next for me? Where am I going? Will I survive? Will I make it? How will I get through this, right? But Psalms 16.5 says, Lord, you're my portion and my cup of blessing you hold my future. Here's the thing. In all of my worry and struggle over the future, do I ever stop and say, wait just a minute. God promises me that he holds my future. If God thought enough about who I was to know my name before he hung one star in the sky, Come on, somebody. Before he created the cosmos. Don't we believe that God thinks enough about us to understand that he has a future for us regardless of our struggles? Can I say this? The same God who holds our future is the God who holds us personally. Individually, God comes to us. But see, the reason we struggle with our future so much is because at the moment we feel held hostage by our past. And so we're stuck in a desert. That's called a wilderness cycle. Come on, Pastor Dawson, help you this morning. You don't even know it yet. Let me tell you what a wilderness cycle is. It's a well-worn path that you have learned to trust. 
Doesn't matter if it's dysfunctional. You've walked it so much, you've learned to trust it. Doesn't matter if it causes you pain, you've walked it so much, you've learned to trust it. As a matter of fact, you've wrestled so hard and worked so hard over some things, you're so tired that you prefer to walk a well-worn path because you don't have to think about walking a well-worn path. You have to worry about where it goes. Come on. And so we live in a cycle even though we know it's taking us nowhere. Come on, somebody. Come on. You know, I tell married people all the time, you can have, that are struggling in their marriage, you can have the marriage you want with the person you're married to. You just can't be married the way you were yesterday. Hello, somebody. Everybody wants things to change, but don't nobody want to get off the well-worn path. Because it's easy. Hello, somebody. You're struggling with addictions. You need to get off the well-worn path that leads you back to the thing you addicted to. But see, that's a wrestle. It's easy to stay on the path, but that path always leads you back to nowhere. You may tell you what a wilderness cycle is. It's a well-worn path you've learned to trust. Let me just say this this morning. What if we learn to trust more than we've trusted God? The way we walk, the way we live, the things we like, we've learned to trust our dysfunction more than we trust God. Why? Because we've come to know what we can expect from our dysfunction. But if you walk with God, you don't know what to expect. We learned that at the Red Sea. They did not expect that God would split the Red Sea. Somebody help me. That is not what they prayed for. They did not say, oh God, will you, pray? Will you just part the sea? No, no, no. Their prayer was take us back to Egypt. Take us back to slavery. No, God said, no, 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 I got different plans. I got something you don't expect, and it's not the well-worn path. I'm going to make a new path through for you through a direction you ain't never walked before. Hello, somebody. Can you see the first person to step out off the path? Into the shadows of the walls of water. You see, this is the wilderness cycle, and God's people tend to do it. We tend to love to stay on well-worn paths. And it's the major reason why we walk in circles our whole life. It's a major reason marriages struggle. Listen, if you hit your finger with the hammer, that's going to hurt. Every time you hit your finger with the hammer, it's not ever going to not hurt. Stop it. That's pretty simple. Did that hurt? Yes, don't do that. Did that cause you misery? Yes, stop it. Did that break your heart? Yes, don't participate in that. Does that lead you to deliverance or freedom? These are questions. that. Listen, in our finances, let me just tell God's people something, amen? Listen, I I need you to understand something. Here's a major part of where we're at. 
The reason God's people don't experience the promise of God to be the head, not the tail, is because we walk in well-worn paths with our finances. We've learned to be hoarders or not givers. We've learned to be consumers of every resource that comes into our life. And all of a sudden, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you something very seriously. If you cannot, you, you, can, you cannot bank when you consume everything. You can't store up when you become a consumer of everything. And when you're a consumer of everything, you begin to live every way in your life, not just financially, but every way of your life into poverty. When you're a consumer of every blessing that comes into your life, all of a sudden you become entitled. And you think you deserve more than what you have. All of a sudden you become dependent. When we think about our finances, listen to me. I I want you to understand something. I had a great Bible teacher that says, show me a man's wallet, I'll show you his heart. That was ouch or oh me, amen, or glory. I don't know. Jobs. Jobs. Let me just tell you something, Christians. Some of y'all stuck in jobs, keeps you out of the house of God all the time. Let me just help you out. You need a new job. You need a new job. And don't, talk, don't, don't come here and talk to me. There ain't no jobs. Y'all been anywhere lately and got any customer service? Why? Because there ain't nobody there. You need a new job. But you want a well-worn path on a job you hate that's taking you nowhere, doesn't provide enough for you, and just leaves you abused, neglected, wore out, torn down, and thrown away. You need a new job. Your mental health, I'm going to bless somebody right now. We need a new way of thinking. You can't think like the world and walk with God. You can have the joy of the Lord in your heart while you are worried about what's going on in the world. Do you understand? Jesus said these things must be. Take heart. I have overcome them all. Greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. I am more than a conqueror. But see, my mental health gets me burdened by everything I can't control, everything that's out of control, and everything that's trying to take me down with it. You know what Job said? Though he slay me. Yeah, well, I serve him. This is God's business. Why I'm worried about it. Purpose in life. You know why we walk well-worn paths and we never, we never come to a complete understanding of really who we are in life and what God has called us to do and be? Because we trust that path of just getting by versus the path of the adventure of the purpose of life. I can't apologize for it. I, I'm sorry, I've said this before. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can't apologize, and then I just said I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I can't apologize. How about that? God birthed me with adventure in my heart. I, it's, it's, it's chaos when Don gets bored. It's trouble when Don gets bored. 
Because God's put something in me to say, I, I, want, I want life. I want to live it. God has called me someplace. Listen, in all the ways, all the past, God means to equip me for something more for his future. Do I have wounds? Do you have wounds from the past? Somebody better say, yeah. Big altar call afterwards. Are we wounded, scarred, beat up? Listen, have we gone through some things we should not have? Have we been wronged in some ways, right, that, that violate us down to the core of our very being? Absolutely. But let me also say that none of that goes without God's view, God's understanding, His sovereignty, and His compassion. And God said to us, I know it all, I understand it all, I didn't want you to suffer like that, but yet because of who I am, I'm going to use all things for my glory in your life see we're paralyzed by the well-worn path it's easier to be a victim than it is to be a victor oh pastor Don just helped you right there and a well-worn path keeps me a victim boy I can hit social media right now You can see all these posts. They're not interested in being delivered. They're not interested in being set free. They just want everybody to to dote over them and well over them about how big a victim they are over something. You think you're the only one? You better start to fast and pray. You're not the only one. Social media is never going to get you a friend like the friend you already have. And his name is Jesus. Are you with me, church? And he had never called you to be a victim. He called you to be a victor. He said you were an overcomer. And listen, you can't be an overcomer unless there was something to overcome. Everybody wants a miracle? Nobody wants to be on the front end. Yes, we've gone through some things. Yes, some of those things were wrong. Welcome to a broken world. That's why you and I are here. That's why the church is still here. Because the world needs some people who once were, but ain't no more. Because of the power of Jesus. I'm not trying to make light of your situation. I'm trying to bring to reality that most of us prefer the well-worn path. We prefer the wilderness cycle. Because we've come to know what to expect. This is why why preachers don't want to preach this kind of message. Because they don't really want you free. Because see, if if you ain't free, you need them. And that makes them feel important. Let me tell you something. You need Jesus more than you need Pastor Don. And if you come to Pastor Don, you better understand why I'm going to send you. Some of y'all know. We, we can't keep playing games. These Mickey Mouse games don't deliver us. They just keep us going around on the merry-go-round of stupid. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the merry-go-round of stupid. I'm ready to get off that thing. I'm ready to step over into God's promise. I'm sorry, I only got one page of notes. 
Listen, I didn't have no interns this week, and Breno was gone, and we had a funeral that took two days. I got one page of notes. <laughs> Media team's all like, where are the notes, Pastor Don? And I'm like, I don't have them yet. <laughs> Can I help you out about Moses? Love him. But he represented the law, and he's dead. Joshua, whose name means Jesus, has to do what Moses could not, and that is lead God's people into God's promise. Oh, here's the truth. There are some things that you and I have been trusting that have to die before we can move forward. You can write that down. There are some things that you and I have been trusting that have to die before we can move forward. I believe Jesus himself is ready to lead us into the future. Joshua chapter 6 verse 7, there's a command, move forward. Move forward. Joshua 6, 7, there's a command. Move forward. Can I say this to us, church? We have, we have spent time crossing the Red Sea, and we've spent time in our life wandering in a wilderness cycle. And I just want to say this to us. It is time to get on with the rest of our life so we can experience the best of our life. It's time to break out of a wilderness cycle. It's time to cross a swollen Jordan, hello somebody, into God's promised future. The same God that led us out of Egypt, the same God that led us through a desert, is the same God that leads us on now. We've got to own some things. There's a process. Stephanie uh, Johnson came up uh, during worship. She said, I, I just feel like there's a process that people, you, we've got to go through and we've got to, we've, got to, we've got to grab a hold of this process. There's a process. And I did some studying and I looked up a whole bunch of things and y'all better bet I'm using everything I can to hear from the Lord. Well, one, of these, one of these steps, one of these processes is, are stages. God leads in stages. Now, let me just say this. God has many ways of comforting us in our life. We go through things, we struggle with things, uh, and God comes to us and he meets us in different ways at different moments because we have different needs in those particular scenarios and those particular situations. God comes to us to comfort, to lead and guide in every way. That's what God does. The wrestling is not to presuppose who God is in that moment. Because we want God to move a certain way that he's always moved. But this is a different situation and God's wanting to move differently. But we trust that well-worn path. Remember Elijah? I, there's the fire. There's God. There's the earthquake. That's God. I've seen God do that before, right? There's the wind. Right? There's the wind. I've seen God do that before. That's God. That's God. And God was in none of it. All of a sudden there was a new way God was coming to him. And it was in a whisper. That was different. So God, God moves us and he comforts us, yet 
the truth of the matter is, and let's just be honest, new chapters in our life are difficult. Aren't they? Come on. It's a process. But the process requires obedience. That's what Stephanie was saying. Come on, come on. Can I, can I just read you a scripture? Y'all not going to believe this. God leads in stages. Y'all want to watch this? Numbers 33, 1. These are the stages of the people of Israel that went out of the land of Egypt and by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses wrote down their starting places. Everybody got to start somewhere. And he wrote them down stage by stage by the command of the Lord, and these are the stages according to their starting places. You know why you can't compare yourself to somebody sitting next to you or what somebody else has gone through? You can't compare how God moved in their life to how he's going to move in your life because your starting place is different than their starting place. What God then brought them through, he's bringing you through something different. Yet you want what they got. I tell young people all the time, you can't get married and have what your parents want right away. They don't work 50 years for that. You better get busy. Stages. We're all in different starting places. Here's the problem. We trust a well-worn path that we go in circles. Hello, somebody. And we never find that starting place to get off that path. And so what do we do? We trust the old things. We trust our old attitudes, our old ways, our old abilities. We trust our own strength. We, we trust our own ideas. We trust our own thought process. These are the people of God I'm talking about. It's a process. God said, no, 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 no. He leads us by stages, and Moses marked those stages by marking starting places. Are you with me, church? Come on, come on, starting places. It's very, very good. Where are you starting at? Have you started? Maybe you don't understand the next stage of your life because you ain't stepped up to the starting line. Maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't started the stage of your deliverance because you refuse to step up to the starting line of deliverance. Instead, you turn around because guess what a cycle does? It, you know, it's like a NASCAR race. It's got left-hand turns. We're just rolling in a circle, wide open. We've got to remember that life is always unfolding in stages. And you know what? Here's the deal. I find myself at starting points all the time. It's never just one. Does God lead us from grace to grace to grace to grace? You know what he says? He says, there's a new starting place, right? I've, I've, I've finished this particular part. Guess what? I got a new starting place, a new stage. It is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Let me tell you something, church. It's uncomfortable, new chapters in life. I get it. But all the time, our lives are entering new stages. Are you with me? Listen, I turned 50 this year, and my mortality hit me in the face like a brick. And Betty just smiling. She's like, you fine? You just got that revelation, Pastor Don? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't get that revelation at 49. It was like 50. Just hit me in the face like a brick. And I'm like, 
I'm going to die soon. I'm so interested in a legacy if the Lord tarries that I'm not struggling with getting older. I'm struggling with whether I have prepared this place well enough. I'm going to be 65 in 15 years. I love all y'all, but I ain't doing this every day at 65. Well, Doug, how old are you going to be in 15 years? He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> Mike Munson, one of our founding elders, is going to be in his mid-late 80s. Rod, how old are you going to be in 15 years? 80. Do you, do you understand that right now is the time to start thinking about our eldership team, our legacy, where we're going next. And we got to get some young men and women around right now who are saying, I'm sold out to the vision of this place. And we got to put that weight on them right now. You here or are you there? Where you at? Nobody ever asked me that. You know why? Because y'all expect that I'm here. Well, I approached some guys during VBS and I was like, how old are you going to be in 15 years? Ask him, didn't I? I was like, how old are you going to be in 15 years? Because, man, I got hit in the face with a brick. Do you understand? Stages mean new starting places. And at some point in my life, you know what my starting place is going to be? In the back cheering the young guys on, the young ladies on, and being happy about it. Where are you at? Because see, new stages are bittersweet and they often bring about mourning. Because much of, I'll be honest with you, just like you are with me, much of your identity has to do with the well-worn path you've been traveling. Who are you? I'm an addict. Who are you? I'm depressed. Who are you? I'm full of anxiety. Who, who are you? The well-worn path, it defines us. And we then own that identity. Let me tell you what happens. What brings reality to a new stage in our life? The death of something. Stages are never more real after the death of something. And the reason we're always anxious about the future is because we have not prepared for what God has prepared for us. I said the reason we're so anxious about the future is because we have not prepared for what God has prepared for us. We've been so caught up with walking the well-worn path. We've been so caught up with just surviving the wilderness cycle, with just surviving every day on the little bit that comes, that we can't fathom that God has something bigger, greater for us, that God has a land full of milk and honey, that God has a land full of provision and resource, that God has a land that will supply us for what he's called us to do. 
But here's the truth. I want you to grab a hold of it if you're so anxious about the future. And maybe you're saying, you're right, I have not prepared for what God has prepared for me. Let me give you this truth. The one who knows the way through the Red Sea is also the one who knows the way through the Jordan. Stages are important. And I want to encourage every one of us, step up to the starting line. Step up to the starting line. Step up to the starting line. Don't let the new stage, the new chapter, and the fear of what's next keep you from stepping up to the starting line. Because you know why? It's that next step that's important. The first step across the starting line is an important step. Why? Because God leads us step by step. You ever wonder why the Bible says that the steps of a righteous are ordered of the Lord? Why? Because God has a direction. God has a purpose. God has it. Let me put it this way. God has an intent. And I, don't, I, think, I think there's a lot of times when we're struggling and when we're not sure about what's going on in our life that we forget that God has an intent. He does. I'm convinced that the reason so many Christians struggle is because they are not convinced that God has an intent for them. But it's that truth. What, what truth? The truth that God has an intent it's the, it's, it's the truth of that knowledge that changes the way you live when you finally get that revelation. Hello, somebody. I'm just a poor country boy from Florida. Hello, somebody. I grew up peanuts and watermelons, man. I know nothing about the world. Hello, somebody. Just wild as a bobcat. And one night under a tent, God saved me. Why? Not because God was bored. Let me tell you something, church. God didn't even save me necessarily because he didn't want me to go to hell. God saved me because he had an intent. See, don't regulate the purpose of your life to just making it to heaven. You'll be sorely disappointed. I want to go to heaven just like everybody does. I'm not really excited about the next train. Hello? I like living. I already punched my ticket. Come on, if Jesus comes back today, see ya. If he waits till tomorrow, I'll see ya. If he waits till next year, I'm still going to be here pestering you. I already punched it settled. 
God has an intent, and his intent is greater than me just not going to hell. His intent for me is greater for me to just spend eternity with him in heaven, although those are great things. But God has an intent for my life that while I live on this life, my life will be lived in such a way that his name gets glorified, his kingdom gets increased, and his church gets built. That's his intent. It's the knowledge that God has a plan for my life that breaks chains, that keeps me on a cycle of a well-worn path. It's the intent, the knowledge of that that helps me step up to the next starting line and saying, if God has brought me thus far, he'll bring me the rest of the way. If a Red Sea wasn't nothing for God, then this Jordan, even though it's swollen, ain't nothing compared to what I just walked. Forty years ago, I walked through the depth of a sea. You, you, just, you just want me to walk across a swollen river? What happened, God? This ain't no big deal. Come on, somebody. Psalms 139.16. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Don't, don't, don't come in here and talk. Don't, don't, don't buy the lie that life starts at conception. You see, this is why we don't value life even as Christian people. Life didn't start at conception. Life began in the mind of God. And so, therefore, life belongs to God. And so, everything that is conceived is of God because God has intent. Y'all don't get me started. I just had a big old conversation with a politician about this. I'm telling you right now, Psalms 139, all my days were written in his book and planned before a single one of them began. I'm just owning it. I'm just owning it. You understand there's some people in this world that don't like Don? Oh, yeah, there's a couple of them. You know how I rest at night? Psalms 139, 16. All my days were written in your book. They'll get over it. Why? Because they're not in charge. Listen, when your name is in your enemy's mouth, that means you're doing something. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us uh, to do. It's right there in the Bible. I have a trick Bible. It's right there. Moses leads Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Everybody say amen. Joshua takes over at the edge of the Jordan, and that's where God makes him a promise. But don't miss this, and calls him to responsibility. You see, responsible people get off the merry-go-round of stupid. Irresponsible people stay on the merry-go-round of stupid. And Pastor Don will make you a promise that you can never, ever, ever, ever disagree with or disprove. The merry-go-round is stupid. It only goes in a circle. And if you let the enemy, he'll just spin it faster 
and faster and faster. Responsibility says, get off. Get off. Come on, married people. Your spouse is not your enemy. They are the greatest blessing that God could give you in this world. Get off the merry-go-round of stupid and refuse to get back on it. Come on, people who are spending more than you make, get off the merry-go-round of stupid. Come on, come on, come on, people. If you're struggling, right, we're just talking about, I, was just, I just said with the interns this week, we, this summer we tackled one question. What lie have we believed? It keeps me on the well-worn path. Oh, I love it. It's so good, right? Moses leads them out of Egypt. Joshua stands to lead them at the, the precipice of promise. And God gives him the promise, the same promise he gave to Moses, but he calls him to responsibility. Ouch. Ouch. I know you grace people are going to hit me hard. I'm not talking about salvation. Come on. You are saved by grace, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about living. And any Christian, any person, any full-grown adult that will look me in the eye and say, I can live my life without responsibility is a not smart person. Young people, you can never, ever escape responsibility, so stop running from it now. The sooner you embrace it, the more peace you're going to have in your life. And if you see grown people around you not living in responsibility and stupid happening in their life, just make up your mind right now. Yeah, I ain't doing that. Yeah, I ain't doing that. Listen, I watched my brother make some mistakes, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm the younger brother, and it's a wonder I'm alive today because, I mean, he really tried to kill me a couple times. But I deserved it. But I was like, yeah, I ain't doing that. I, I ain't doing that. I did some other stuff, but we didn't talk about that today. Can I say this to us? The only way forward is to put your foot down on the promise. Go across this Jordan, and every place you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Well, you know what you got to do? You, you got to take a step. That's called responsibility. You have to step towards the promise God has given you. You can never claim Joshua 1.3 standing still. Oh, that was a heavy. You're going to get that at lunch. You're going to be like, that was just, whoo, did you? You can never, ever ever claim Joshua 1.3 standing still. You have to step forward. You have to step forward. You have to take some responsibility towards the promise of God. You have to move forward in God's direction, step by step by step. But see, here's the, here's the truth. So many people get lost in the process. The process from the Red Sea to the promised land 
It's three weeks. But they got lost in the process. Come on, somebody. They got lost in the process. Elizabeth's word during worship was don't get lost in the process. Don't get lost in the process. The way to not get lost in the process is called obedience. Boy, y'all not amen to me today. Can I help you with this too? If, if God leads in stages and by steps, you know what God also does? He leads present. Can I, can I share this with you? He leads in person. Here's the wonderful thing about the God that we walk with. Of all the religions in the world, our God is the only one who personally walks with us. On the journey he's called us to. You saw that in Exodus. Come on, there's a cloud and a pillar of fire. God is with us. Come on, church. God is with us. God is there. See, part of the fear of entering a new stage in our life is the anxiety that God won't be with me. You know why fear grips our heart a lot of times? It's because we feel alone. Come on, I've told the story about the first time I was coming off the mountain in Colorado. And um, I had parked, and, and the guys thought I would get a shot on an elk at a particular place, and they were going on up the mountain in order to get an elk that uh, we had already taken. And so they had the mules, and, and they went on up. And the guy says, hey, just sit right here, and when we come back, you know, if something, if you get something down, then we'll get it too, and we'll be out the way. So I sat there all day in this particular spot. And uh, it started to get dark. And I'm, I'm two hours away from the truck on a mountain. Hello, somebody. Ain't no streetlights. Ain't no streetlights. And it's winter, so sky ain't clear. And I can see the headlamps up on top of the mountain uh, as the guys are starting to come back down the mountain. I can see their headlamps way up there. And it, it is dark now. And I get a phone call from Josh Wired. And Josh says, hey, um, uh, we see your lamp down there, but I'm going to be honest with you, we're about, three hours we're about three hours from you. And you two hours from the truck. I'm, listen, I'm all by myself. I'm like a Slim Jim snack for a bear. And I know the bear can smell me because I ain't had a shower in a week and a half. And Josh is like, hey, bud, you, you probably need, you need to start heading towards the truck. And I'm like, you have lost your Jesus-loving mind. I'm going to walk through this mountain by myself in the dark? And Josh is like, yeah, you can't sit there, man. The bears are going to get you. And they're going to get me if I'm all alone. What you talking about? And Josh is like, don't sit there, man. You got to go. You got to go now. We're not going to make it to your place for three hours yet. And then you're gonna, you need to get to the truck. And I'm like, dude, I'm all alone on a mountain. Hello, somebody. Where there's mountain lions 
and bears. And Josh is like, you got both your guns loaded? Yeah, yes. He said, don't leave them on safety and get to the truck. I'm like, all right, Jesus, this ain't happening. <laughs> Do you know the only time I'd walked this path is when we went up that mountain that day? I was not familiar with this path. There were no stars. I had a compass, and I knew the truck was a certain direction. And so I flipped on my headlight, but then as soon as I stood up with my headlight on, I was like, everything in the woods can see me! <laughs> Just a big neon sign, Slim Jim Dawn for the taking. Come and eat me. Two hours, I hooked off that mountain by myself in the dark. Hello, somebody. And I'm talking dark. If you switch your headlight off, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And the whole time, this little Pentecostal boy was praying in the Spirit like you never heard somebody pray in the Spirit. Don't let that bother you. You get lost on a mountain in the middle of the night, you'll learn to pray in the Holy Ghost too. I guarantee it. But the one thing I had to keep telling myself is God's with me. I'm not alone. Fear gripped my heart because I was alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And if David killed a bear with his bare hands, at least I got two guns full of ammo. Let go. God was there. And I felt the presence of God. Come on, somebody. Becoming aware of God's presence in our lives is one of the most single important tasks you will ever do. Because you're going to go through some stuff that's going to make you feel alone. Come on, somebody. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be neglected. You're going to be thrown away. You're going to be hurt and wounded by some people that you thought would never do that to you, but they did, and there's nothing you can do about it. There ain't a thing you can do today to change yesterday. It happened. And it's going to make you feel alone and isolated and all by yourself. The greatest thing you can do in your life is become aware of an ever-living presence of God. Because he leads you and I in person. Come on, church. His greatest promise to us is that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Deut Deuteronomy 31, Joshua 1.5, 1 Chronicles 28, Psalms 27. Even the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Can I, can I just read that real quick? We got, we got a second. Watch, I just, I love this scripture in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Watch this. Keep your life free. Keep your life free. Be content. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. Say it with me. Never. It's a poor translation. I'm going to help you right here. I know David was here last week. He's the, hello somebody, he's the PhD, not me, but this is a poor translation. It should actually be translated in a double negative, which a southerner like me would be used to. I ain't never seen nothing like that. Ain't never. That's a double negative. It should be translated this way. 
I will never, never leave you. Come on, church. Some of your translations might say abandon. I will never abandon you. Come on, come on. When it's translated the word abandon, it should have a triple negative. I will never, never, never leave you. I will never abandon you. That's not who our God is. He's not a God that brings us to this point and then says, oh, well, good luck with the rest of that. He's not a God that brought us to the Red Sea and said, I can't help you anymore. God's not a God that brings us to the Jordan and says, I can't help you anymore. No, our God is a God who's got an intent for us to get where he plans for us to be, to do what he plans for us to do, so his name will get glory through what he's doing through our life. Our God will never, he will never, he will never abandon us. He leads in person. He's there. He's an ever-present help in a time of need. That's the promise of the Scripture. Why would we ever be insecure about anything in our life? Because we don't believe God is with us. Let me tell you something, church. I don't know, worship team. Come on. I'm sorry. I only have one page of notes today. I feel like I was shooting from the hip a little bit. Can I say this to us? We still got seas to cross. I, you don't want to hear that. I know it. Not today. We still got seas to cross. Come on. Come on, married people. We still got seas to cross. We still got rivers to cross. Come on, come on, come on. You're struggling with addiction. We still got rivers to cross. Come on, come on. You're struggling with finances. We still got problems to face. Come on, you're struggling with mental health issues. We still got giants to fight. Come on, church. You're struggling with purpose in life. We still got promises to claim. We still got seas to cross. Come on, come on, it's okay. Don't be discouraged by it. Fact is, why should we ever be afraid or discouraged? Can I say this to us, church? Don't be afraid of the next stage of our life. Can I say this to us as a ministry? Let's not be afraid of the next step. Married people. Addicts, abused, neglected. Can I say this? Maybe there's somebody listening. All church hurt people. Come on, if you're a church hurt person, come on. God's intent has a purpose. And I know it happened. But God, that's the next step for you. Don't be afraid of the next stage. Hello, somebody. What if our pain and our agony, what if our struggling not only teaches us what we know it shouldn't look like, but it reveals all the more what we know it should look like, and then we use what happened to help someone else see what we now see? I was so angry when my wife and I first got married. I was just an angry man. Hello, somebody. Man, let me, let me 
let me, I can help you see the joy of the Lord. I was an addict too. Come on. I was a lost guy. I remember, listen, on my own since I was 15 years old. Indian. And I don't mean that derogatory. I had some fun. So I thought. But all that fun left to pain. It led to agony. It led to hurt. It led to woundedness. It led to anger. I felt abandoned and, and, and neglected. I felt thrown away. I, I felt invalued. And I was mad at everybody. Because somebody hurt me, somebody wounded me, someone threw me away, someone, in my opinion, didn't love me. And one night, Jesus showed up. Come on, church. And he wasn't offended by my anger, he wasn't offended by my addiction to pornography, he wasn't offended by my woundedness. Do you know Jesus was not offended because of my dirt? That some of the church world would be. Pastor Don, you can't tell people about your, your struggles because they need to see you as perfect. Listen, you got the wrong guy. I ain't even perfect now. Just ask some of the elders. There's been a couple of times, man, when these brothers who love me have come to me and said, you better get your act together sick of this that's why I love these men right because that's what we do God's got a new stage and what he wants you to do is take the first step and he doesn't want you to do it alone as a matter of fact he plans that you won't he's there in person this is so good stand with me church You got a lot to talk about in the next few weeks. I'm excited. Hello, somebody. About what God's going to be doing and how he's going to lay it out. I want you to pray with me as the eldership team preps, as we continue to talk to each other, as we just pray for one another um, and, and, and over the word of God. And, and let's hear the voice of the Lord together in Jordan's journey. Can I say to you that the promised land is not heaven? There are no giants in heaven. Please don't compare the promised land to heaven. That's not good theology. Even in God's promise, there's still some enemies to fight. Hello, somebody. 